<laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Robin. I'm Jamie. And we are the hosts of If, if These Ovaries Could Talk. If oh, they could. It was only. so weird. <laughs> We're very synced up today. We are. That just that? sounds weird. weird. Ovaries synced up. I don't know. Like are getting our period at the same time. Oh, good. Anyway. Um, oh, my God, you guys. Um, first, we want to say that today's episode of If These Ovaries Could Talk is brought to you by Lola Songfinch and True Botanicals. Love them all. I know. They're great. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited to be teaming up with them. Yeah. So we wanted to let you guys know that I was just um, recently talking with my friend Claudia, who I went to college with because she recently went through a pretty hard struggle with her daughter. Her daughter was diagnosed with cancer. She had a special kind of brain tumor, which we'll talk about in this episode. And Claudia actually documented their whole journey through Mm -hmm. the fight against this little girl, Isabella's brain cancer, very well on the social media. So there were videos and she posted essays that she Mm -hmm. wrote uh, all about what it's like to deal with an 18-month-old... For the love of God, I can't even... ...fighting cancer. And I have to tell you, I... Obviously, I was there the whole way watching her videos, crying with her on in these videos. You know, I'm sitting on the toilet just sobbing. You know, because <laughs> that's when the toilet. <laughs> because that's when I get to watch, Jamie. listen to my videos. Otherwise, my daughter's like, "Let me see the phone. Take the, can I have the phone? Give me the phone. I want to see the phone." We and all, then she ruins we it. We all hide in the bathroom. It's fine. I mean, it's my office time. But anyway, um, and I was speaking with her, and she mentioned that September mm-hmm. is. Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, which I didn't know. I didn't either. No, and she asked if if we would be willing to to do a story on childhood cancer, and we thought, well, yeah, yeah. And she actually got us in contact with our guests today, Crystal and Kelly. Crystal and Kelly, they're two moms. Yep, obviously, because that's kind of what we do. Yep, and they are going to tell their story as it pertains to childhood cancer. Yeah. And and just for, for those of you who are listening, um, this is a incredibly difficult story. So yes. it, this is a little bit of a trigger warning. It's, it's a beautiful story and it's mm-hmm. amazing what they're sharing, but it is, it is a hard one. This is a tough one. You're not going to have a dry eye yeah. at the end of this. And, and that's okay because this is a reality yeah. for so many people. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get them in here. And let's get them in. Them. Okay. Well, hello, hello, hello. Hi, guys. We have Crystal and Kelly. Hi. Hi. Coming to us all the way from Texas. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to start with you guys where we always do, which is the elevator pitch. You guys have a really interesting family makeup. Tell us about that. Okay. So we are two moms and we have seven kids, but we've adopted five of them. So we have a 24-year-old who came into our home at 16 and he is now 24 and doing great. We have a 10-year-old little boy with special needs, an eight-year-old little girl, a six-year-old little boy, an 18-month-old baby that passed away, and then um, a set of twins we are currently fostering. I mean, how, how do you juggle that many kids? Well, we keep them on a pretty set routine. We're super routine. Like everyone's in bed by 7.30. I think it's easier having a lot more kids that keep everyone entertained. We, they just know, like you come in and you pack your lunches for the next day and get things like clothes picked out and 
then we move on to homework and dinner. Yeah. And I, I think I need you to teach me a class on how to manage my, I only have two and I'm, and I like, <laughs> I wonder if it's just like idea. by necessity, you have that many kids and you just have to yeah. be on a regimented schedule, like a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. Are you still taking in kids? Are you done? Are you? We're finished. We're done. You said, you mentioned in there that you have a special needs child too. Uh, yes, Weston, he's 10 and he is probably like the biggest joy. I mean, all of our kids, kids are a joy, but he literally is, has the best personality 100% like all the time. When he wakes up in the morning, he says, hi, I'm back. <laughs> we're like, oh, welcome. He's so happy all the time. Like you can't even say anything bad. I will say the struggle with Weston is car seats. If it was no safety issue and we didn't have to have car seats, like I, because it is like a 30 minute routine getting everyone in the vehicle. We literally have to go in shifts <laughs> and like with Weston not being able to do things on his own, you're like buckling him in. The girls are trying to get out of their car seats and you're like, I don't even know what to do right now. Half the time. What kind of a car, what kind of a vehicle do you have? <laughs> We have the worst thing ever, a Pathfinder. Well, it's not the worst oh, thing ever, but when not. you have 75 kids, it's it's not as... <laughs> to our listeners, to our listeners, whoever wants to start the Kickstarter page for these guys to get their Swiffer van, please, please reach out to us. They deserve it. <laughs> Jamie. Yeah? Guess what? <laughs> what? I have a little present for you. For me? Yeah, totally. Really? All right, take a listen. We were hanging out at Cowboy with our kids and our wives Celebrating pride with some sweet potato fries When your eyes got wide and migrated from your Frito pie You said, hey, I got an idea So we made a million Google Docs, which sounds a bit insane But so is getting lost when you're just two blocks away And in spite of heavy breathing in your pregnancy brain Our podcast baby was born yeah. If these ovaries could talk They'd be robbing, keeping us on track so dutifully Did you do that? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm just incredibly talented. Wait, no, you wrote that? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I used Songfinch. Oh. Um, so they're like this personalized gifting company where you can bring them stories or feelings or memories, you know, like the ones that I shared with them. And they are going to make you one of a kind song. And by the way, the songs start at 99 bucks and they're delivered in seven days or less. Wow. You know what? I've actually heard of them. I, I heard that they have over 300 professional musicians mm -hmm. just waiting to make you a personalized song. I mean, you just, you just knew that it was somewhat professional and it was not me that made that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the good news for you guys at home, our listeners, our friends, you can make one too. You just use the promo code OCT for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. That's awesome. $20 off? Mm -hmm. I'd take it. So talk to us about what made you guys decide to foster? Because you started a while back. Well, we can't make a child. And 2010, we started talking about um, we've been together almost 14 years, but we just started talking that we wanted a child. Something was pulling at our heart to always adopt someone with special needs and just to give back and knowing how big the foster care rate is and mm -hmm. how many kids are in the foster system. 
it opened our eyes to how many kids needed a home and how many kids were considered unadoptable. Weston was on that list, unfortunately. We didn't even know anything about being a foster parent. We thought we could just email this caseworker, like, hey, we like this kid. Can we adopt him? Mm -hmm. We didn't know it was like this big like ordeal. And she was like, do you have a caseworker? And we're like, no, like we're just from the internet. Don't you know? She was like, well, it's going to take about six months to get certified. We're like, no way. We're not going to wait six months. So what we did was I Googled like how to become a foster parent. And there was like this get together where um, at a library here in Austin, where you could go and different people from different placement agencies would be speaking. We went like that same week and we met this lady and her name is Jamie, which she's a friend of ours now. And she was the head of this um, agency at the time. And we absolutely fell in love with her because we were really worried, I guess, about being same sex and adopting Mm -hmm. what people would say or what people would think. Like, I just remember thinking there's no way they're going to give us a kid. And especially in Texas, maybe. And so we met with her and she was like, no, we love everyone and everyone's welcome. Let's get this started. We were certified when a month and a half, we opened up our home in a month and a half and we were told it was going to take six months. Because I imagine everyone isn't so diligent as you guys must have been. No. no, it was like every Wednesday and Saturday we were in a training to get everything yeah, done. Yeah, you guys, it's, it was meant to be. Oh, absolutely. So we sent our paperwork off for him. And in the meantime, she was on her second year being assistant principal at a high school mm-hmm. um, in Round Rock. I had come in as a as a new AP and we met this. It was, a, I guess you would call it a group home kind of, but it was a normal home, but they had a high number of, you know, the max number you could have. An excellent family who, you know, helps these young men out. And the principal, you know, was like, I want you to meet this group of boys, you know, just want to put a face with a name in case they need you. And Alex sat right next to me. And I remember I looked over at him and and uh, he just had the prettiest smile. And I was like, hey, if you ever need anything, here's my, you know, here's my office. I know you're not in my alpha, but if you, and he took me up on that offer and I kind of monitored him. And to make a long story short, you know, I was like, hey, you know, we, we're now licensed and stuff. And well, his, his placement wasn't working out for him. Yeah, it wasn't working out for him. And so we just had got opened up our home and we had sent off the paperwork for Weston. And in the meantime, Alex kind of just fell into our laps. He was supposed to only come for like a week visit over Thanksgiving and he ended up just moving in. So in that time, we got the call about the baby who had shaken baby syndrome. So Alex was at our home and we get this call about this three-month-old baby who had shaken baby syndrome and he was in San Antonio and he was in the hospital and he needed to be released to someone. And would we like to take him? I didn't even tell Kelly. I was like, <laughs> yeah, we'll take him. Absolutely. And then our Alyssa was our worker at that time. She was like, Crystal, don't you need to talk to Kelly? And I was like, no, she'll be fine with it. <laughs> By the way, that's not like a, a purchase at the grocery store. That's, that's a baby. Like <laughs> It's a baby. Yeah. And so we never had a baby like in our home. And we have never had um, a baby that had shaken baby syndrome or anything, anybody with medical needs. And so... And and you still don't have Weston yet. No, Weston Mm -mm. is more into the story later. Mm -hmm. With the baby in San Antonio, we get this call and we're like, absolutely. So we're talking to Alex. He's like, yeah, I want a little brother. Absolutely. (laughs) And Alex is phenomenal with kids. And later I can send y'all pictures because these are probably the best pictures ever. But we go because we're like, we don't want him to be alone on Thanksgiving. So we go get a hotel in San Antonio, me, Kelly and Alex. And we spend all day Thanksgiving day with him in the hospital. And then he's released the next day on Good Friday. And so we 
bring him home on Good Friday. Yo, we have nothing for a baby. We don't have anything. Like we had um, a queen size bed in the extra bedroom for Alex and that's about it. And I think a twin bed in the other room. So thankfully, my sister uh, stayed there and people were like dropping off stuff at our house. Yes. Um, oh, like, we have a wonderful community we're in and people literally were dropping off. When we got home, we had um, a pack and play, a swing, a bed. I mean, we were stocked with everything that we needed for this baby. Wow. I think and I need to move to Austin. I know. You do. We could, we could hook you up. So, uh, <laughs> well, we've got tons of stuff to share now. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> and so we get him and I mean, it was actually pretty amazing. She ended up taking two weeks off because at the time I worked for a tech company in recruiting. And so she took two weeks off and stayed home with him. And you can share. Yeah, because he couldn't, um, because of the injuries from the the trauma that he had experienced, he couldn't uh, go into a daycare until some, you know, he was cleared medically. So I took two weeks of FMLA leave Mm -hmm. and I uh, stayed home with him to, you know, nurse him back to health. And we had a friend that wasn't working at the time and we, she did the training so where she could keep him because he had to be fed a certain way. Cause with the trauma, his lung got punctured. And so, um, Ugh. his lung Ugh. could fill up if you were holding him the wrong way. So you oh had to hold him on your left arm. So we had him until he turned one years old and we got him walking. He was eating great. He was, um, and when he came to us, there was a lot of neglect as well. He didn't know he had limbs. So he would sit like in a bumbo and his little arms and legs would just stick straight out because uh-huh. he literally did not know he had arms and legs. And we had to do a lot of therapy where we would run brushes over his body and like a lot of touch and, you know, just holding and swaddling. So he would learn that he had these limbs that he could control. Crystal actually did a really good job of getting him into a routine Mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a full-time job. Yeah. Just one, just the one baby. I'm just amazed at how relaxed and like pleasant you two are <laughs> given. Like I, I and we were only at three at this point. It's like, <laughs> you don't even have Weston yet. I know. It's like crazy. No, we don't. So we were actually in the emergency room with the baby at the time because he was sick. I think he had the flu maybe. And we get the call from our placement agency and they're like, Hey, we have good news. And I was like, hold on, you know, um, we're at the emergency room with the baby. Um, so I step out and I go in the call and immediately, of course, cause I'm a crier. Like I cry if I'm happy, I'm sad. I just cry. Um, I just start crying and Kelly knew like we got Weston. And so I walked back in the room and I was like, we got him. We got Weston. So it was actually between us and another gay couple in um, Dallas area. And he, Weston was from the Dallas area, but because I took the time to make this whole like storybook, like, it was a video, video like a slideshow, and we had his room ready. Y'all, we even bought like W's to put over his bed. And I mean, oh. we literally wanted this kid so much. Like we had bought him toys. We had bought him clothes, did all this stuff. And I played the song from Pinocchio, When You Wish Upon a Star. And so, and that was like the background music for it. So <laughs> you were like pulling out all the stuffs. I was because I was like, we're getting this kid. Like no one's taking this child. And so literally they're like, everyone was crying in the room. And this is like, he has to be your kid. So we're like, thanks. Like we, oh my gosh, it was just amazing. Wow. In a very short period of time, you went from no kids to all of a sudden having like 
this, a bunch of kids, it's like, you went from like zero to a hundred. So, you know, and then you're like missing work and you're like, that's a lot. And you have one little boy who keeps getting sick, which is so stressful when yeah. a baby gets sick. Yeah. And if he keeps getting sick, that must, I, I know the feeling when you yeah. look at the baby and, oh, he's yeah. sick. And so in, in all that excitement and stuff, and then like I had turned to, I, I don't know if fear is the proper thing to say, but I was scared because we didn't exactly know the of all of Weston's needs. And, you know, we're thinking that this other baby is going into an adoption too, you know, so we're trying to nurse him to health, not really knowing, you know, what all Weston entails. And then we've got Alex who, you know, has his, um, Alex was, Alex was, I mean, pretty easy. I mean, but he's he a teenager though. Yeah. We were talking the first time we got Weston, it was Super Bowl Sunday of 2012, and we they were having a Super Bowl party. So we go over there, we have the baby, and we had Weston. So we knew Weston had special needs, and we knew Weston had a seizure disorder, but we knew it, we thought it was because if he was sick, he would have a seizure. Oh no, we're at this house, and Weston is watching the football game, and he just starts having this awful seizure. Well, we're oh. panicking because we've never been around it. Thankfully, there were two nurses at this party and they literally step in and they start doing everything. Well, Weston's turning blue. They can't get oh oxygen God. to him. Oh so we call 911 and like we ride to the ambulance, like we ride on ambulance with him, like to the hospital. And we're like, this is not what we thought it was going to be like at all. Yeah. So from that time and he, we got him into um, a neurologist here who is phenomenal. We, oh my gosh, she's amazing. He um, ended up having refractual epilepsy. Yeah. And so that is basically he sees us constantly. And so his, he's now on medicine that regulates it. And he has a VNS that's in place in um, his chest that sends these like little pulses up to his brain mm -hmm. so they can intercept a um, seizure, but mm -hmm. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But Weston can literally be talking to you and he can be seizing and us not know. Uh. So what we watch out for is Weston went seizing and trying to move. But at the time when he was little, we really didn't know what Weston had. He also has laryngomalacia where he has a weakened windpipe. We never were told this diagnosis either. And that's how he, he gets, when he is seizing, he turns blue so quickly because his windpipe is, the flap on his windpipe is closing. And he has cerebral palsy as well. Yes, he does. And, but um, he wasn't diagnosed with that. The first time we met him, we went and we went in the house and I was like, oh, he has CP2. And they were like, no. And I was like, what do you I'm mean? No, sure like, he that's, has cerebral that's palsy. textbook. I can't even like, okay. So, so you got Weston and the little baby B ended up going back to. He did. His Not yet because, so we have Weston in his routine. He's doing new things. He's getting healthy. B is completely, you would have never known that anything happened to him. Wow. And Alex is trucking along. And then. I was sitting in a superintendent leadership retreat and the CPS had uh, emailed me our caseworker who we adore. So they, she got the notification that he was going to go back to his biological father. And I will say the biological father um, is not the one that did the, did the abuse. Yes. So it was um, someone else that did that. So the dad did work his services and did ended up getting custody back of the baby. The baby's grandmother was going to be the one that was going to actually probably step in and take care of him. Mm -hmm. We he went on visits with the grandma, and when he would come back, like the grandma just loved, and the dad loved him. Like so, he was going back to an amazing 
family. And we knew our time with the baby was just to get him better mm-hmm. and to be the people that helped him along the way. But that that's not how I felt at the time. That's not how I felt at all because actually I met the grandmother, not saying anything bad about the family, but my, and I had like this internal struggle because I met that grandmother and I kept in communication with the dad all the time. Mm -hmm. I would send him pictures, him and I would text, we would talk, you know, and then whenever I met the grandma, like I really, really liked her. And I had like this internal struggle because selfishly I wanted to keep him. Yeah, of course. Yes. But in my heart, I knew I was like this. She loves her grandchild, too. Yeah. And this yeah. dad is, you know, he's really fighting for him and stuff. So it was kind of I learned to see it that way after, you know, it probably took me a, a while to kind of get over that, you know, losing mm-hmm. him. Because it, it was tough because we were really like we had already contacted attorneys for, yeah. Yeah. you know, we thought it was going to adoption. And then I mean, and it's. We're okay. I mean, it happens. And I think um, you do want kids back with their biological family if it is a good home and a good fit. Um, absolutely, you know. So then after he went back. Like three weeks later, I'm at a luncheon with the, and I get a call from that caseworker who we adore. And she's like, I'm like, Hey, Ashley, how are you doing? She's like, good. I go, I hope you're calling me to tell me that B's coming home. And she said, she said, no, I wish I, I was. She goes, but however, she goes, I have a 10-month-old who's an adoption placement little boy. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, we'll take him. <laughs> and it was like. I didn't even call Yeah, it, like, so this is how we get our children. We don't talk it over. We're like, absolutely, we'll take him more. Oh, my God. We'll take him. <laughs> so, and he had, he was born on opiates and had bilateral club feet. Mm-hmm. And he, he, when he came into our home at 13 months, he wasn't even crawling. He wasn't very mobile. Mm-hmm. He never slept. The child did not sleep from being oh. born on opiates. Like he literally oh. slept probably an hour a night, if that. Oh. And I remember when the B was with us, B didn't sleep either from the trauma. And sometimes I would just take him outside and sit on our back deck and we would just like hang out outside because he was calmer outside. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, I was like, I don't know what's, what's comforting about this, but it would be in the middle of the night and we would just go hang out out there because he was, he would scream so much. And then we get this other baby that doesn't sleep on top of having Weston. We're like, <laughs> it's okay. So, but after she got that call about getting Jace, our son, who's now six, I get a call from, so where Weston came from in Dallas, his foster mom, her daughter was also a foster parent. And she was at the time fostering this little girl who was three years old. She had a trach and she was going into adoption placement. So she calls us and she's like, Hey, Crystal, would y'all be interested in taking Sierra? And that was her name at the time. (laughs) Um, And so, and we're, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because we had met her. And when we went up to visit Weston one time, and she just came straight to me, like she sat in my lap, she was playing with my hair, and she just Aww. wouldn't like leave my side. So then like we got them in December of 2012. And yeah, Jace came on uh, December 22nd, and Lexi came on December 8th. Yeah, so Lexi, yeah. So December 8th, Lexi came and she was three at the time. And then two weeks later, we get this 13 month old who doesn't sleep. And so now we have this three bedroom house with an office that was connected to our bedroom. So we changed that into a nursery slash office. We have Weston and Lexi sharing a bedroom. And then Alex has his own bedroom, of course. So now we're like this 
ginormous family. In one year, we have literally gone to one year, one year that we have yeah. all these kids in our home. And oh, oh wow. Like it was it was crazy, but whoa, we are crazy. We are, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> are you just you're just getting that now? <laughs> I mean, you guys are amazing. I know. Just talking oh. about it, I'm like, wow. <laughs> but, but how do so we? So then, um, I mean, to fast forward. So then we did uh, Weston's that. adoption on June 1st of 2012. Alex's adoption was on November 1st. It was actually on the news and. Um, oh yeah, because he was 18 when he was adopted. Because yeah. he kind of went back Aww. and forth with wanting to be adopted or not. So it was it was just kind of neat for it to be such a big thing for him. Yeah, you know, for him to know that this is like a big a deal. big deal. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we adopted him, and then. We adopted um, Jace next, and then Lexi's adoption was finalized. And we closed our home. Yes, we closed our home. We're done. (laughs) We're done. But then I get a call. (laughs) This is where the uh, baby Trent comes in. So we get a call that there is this mom that's going to have this baby here in the Austin area, and she uses methamphetamines. Mm. And so, and we were asked by her great aunt if we would like to take this baby in when she has it. Well, Absolutely, we would. I mean, yeah. come on. Even though the home Even though was, the house closed. was closed. We're yes. closed, Even but though one more. Is closed. But because this is a different placement, because this would be considered a kinship placement, because her great aunt and my mother went to high school together. It's a lot of craziness, I know. But he comes into our home in September of... September 17th. September 17th of 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in love with him. He's two months old, bald-headed, beautiful. I mean, I can't say enough about him. So we are kind of in the, in our head, knowing that we are going to adopt this baby, even though technically in the CPS world, it's, he's not up for adoption yet because Mm -hmm. parents are trying to still work services. And this is where I can say being a foster home is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, we love what we do. And, um, I know a lot of parents get bitter, foster parents get angry and bitter when it comes to biological parents, you will send your child off to visits and visits are hard, but we Mm -hmm. have to remember we are in this for the children and we're not in here to, to make the parents look worse. So we are in groups where people complain about, well, you know, my child went, or my foster baby went on a visit and the mom didn't feed them and didn't change them for three hours Ugh. and just, you know, complaining. And I'm, and to myself, I think, well, that's where our job is. You mm-hmm. know, our job is to sit there and be like, I know when I would pick up the baby that he would not be changed and he would not have been fed. So mm-hmm. I would have a bottle ready and I would change him as soon as he got in the car. Yep. And hey, and that was it. It's not my job to put that parent down because they're having other struggles of trying to do other things along with trying to learn how to be a parent. If they were able to do it, the kid would be in your home. They would do it, exactly. But I will say, um, moving on, his biological parents were very respectful of us and very loving and thankful for us. And when they would make themselves available to meet us outside of the placement agency or the, the city place where you do visits, we would meet them for dinners and stuff. And the mom was very, very respectful. She would always be like, hey, she would have like call us moms. And, but we were like, but you're his mom too. Like he can have three moms. We're cool with that, you know? And (laughs) so we would laugh about that. And she would be like, hey, can I feed him this? And because she was trying to learn too. And so we have a different love for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely a love for her. So baby Trett was, sorry. Yeah. We talked about last night that we literally talked about how he 
Um, they say there's supposed to be angels on earth. And we really feel that about him because I can't tell you how perfect he was. Everything about this baby was perfect. He was happy. He was so smart. He was counting. Um, he could count to 10 before the age of one. He knew his some colors. He, like, we would go. And, like, I was at the time doing a lot of running and walking at the time. And um, we would go drop our um, four-year-old off at the time off at preschool in the morning. The baby and I would literally walk the whole time Jace was in morning <laughs> preschool. So we would go to the park. We would walk up to Target. We would just, I was like, we put a lot of miles on a stroller because. <laughs> That was our time to bond and we did all this stuff and then we would go pick Jace up and head to another park, you know, and those boys, I mean, they had the biggest bond too. So we moved in November of 2016 and we moved into a new home and we are all thinking like, okay, he's going to move into adoption. Mm -hmm. um, so he was 17 months. He was running up and down these stairs. He was being a boss of everyone in this house. <laughs> he did run this house. He really did. Like if he said something, everyone did it. And if uh, Mickey Mouse came off the TV, if it changed, he was going to let us know. He what, basically was the king of our home. And yeah, um, he had a personality. Oh my gosh, such a personality. We, uh, getting into where he was getting sick, he, it was the Christmas break. And actually he, Christmas break, he was, perfect. When Christmas came around, our, all of our kids were here. Alex came home. I've got a video of them running around the house and the baby just cracking up <laughs> laughing at Alex and just... All the kids were sitting on the couch and the baby's just looking at Alex and it was just a beautiful moment. Yeah. And we get into where we're getting ready to, to take him to his 18-month checkup. And so Kelly takes him in. Well, we uh, his 18-month his, uh, checkup was on the 22nd. I think it was a Wednesday. And um, we had just signed the adoption placement paperwork on that Monday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He had just started to catch like a little low-grade fever. So the caseworker was here, you know, and we're signing the adoption paperwork, which we did. And... Then I was like, yeah, he's got a little low-grade fever. He's a little bit snotty, but he's got his 18-month checkup tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, 99.9. Yeah. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. And I said, so well, we're going to get him checked out. And so um, I took him into his 18-month checkup, and I had told the the doctor, she's like, how's he doing? I was like, oh, he's fine. You know, he's happy. He's eating everything. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, I said, but he's he's just, his balance is a little bit off. Mm -hmm. You know, so she looked him over. She's like, oh, he looks great. He looks healthy. They do the head measurement, all that kind of stuff that they do. And then they're like, yeah, he does. He has the start of, a, of an ear infection, and that might explain the balance. Mm -hmm. It made perfect sense. There were sure. absolutely mm -hmm. no concerns. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we started antibiotics that day. We couldn't get the shots until he was, you know, completely fever free. So that next week uh, we had scheduled shots, you know, like after what, two days of the antibiotics, he didn't mm -hmm. even have a fever. And I don't even know that the ear really bothered him that much because he just, he was just trucking along, just happy as ever. Mm -hmm. Christmas morning, he gets... Oh, he gets, um, you know, those little... Um, cozy coop. A cozy coop. He gets a cozy coop for Christmas. The kid will not get out of it. He <laughs> wants his uh, milk in a sippy cup propped in the cup holder behind him. He props his feet up and he wants to just watch TV, I guess, all day in his Christmas PJs in his cozy coop, which we were like, all right. He, I just picture like this little king, like just like sitting back, just being like, oh, you know. I mean, he was like the life of the party there. And I mean, 
he literally like everyone, when he would go into the nursery at church, they would be like, Oh, he's baby Tret's here. And like, everyone was so excited to see him because I'm telling you, he was this angel on earth. Like he really was. He was glowing. So we went back to, um, get his, she took took him him back back to get get the shots, get the shots. And we didn't have to see the doctor at that point. You know, the nurse can administer shots. So we get his shots and I'm like, his balance is, it's just really weird. Like he used to walk everywhere and now he's taken like, you know, four or five steps. Then he just kind of, he would prefer to crawl. Mm. And I was like, but you know, maybe with his big head, his big head, you know, and his little feet, you know, maybe, maybe that's (laughs) just, it is what it is. So which brings up another Im- important uh, part that where we're going is that he was placed with us in September. And in October, because of the concern of the size of his head, Crystal had taken him in to get um, an ultrasound. An ultrasound. And there were no findings on it. So um, everything was normal. In September. Se- this was September the he year was- before when he was placed with us. So he was only like three months old at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. No concerns. The baby has a big head. <laughs> sure. Um, and then, in, yeah, and, and we didn't think anything of it because his mom no. also did and his siblings all. We even saw a neurologist like the summer. Yeah, it was May of 2016 that we saw a neurologist and she was like, I, I don't see anything wrong with him. Just makes me wonder if your your intuition was telling you yeah. something. Something, yeah. Like we ended up seeing this neurologist and she was like, he he's fine. Like he hmm. I she was kinda like, I don't know why you're here. He <laughs> just has a very large head. And I was like, so okay. He was he was doing some unusual Oh, he his eyes would flutter a little bit. So mm-hmm. he would roll his eyes a little bit. But mm-hmm. of course, like he wasn't doing it at the doctor when they we were never there, do. I was like, no. They never do. All those results came back. Yeah, fine. everything was fine then. So, so so now going back to when he started getting sick, I, uh, one of our other kids had to go in for either checkup or they Weston. were sick or who knows what was going on at our home at that time. And <laughs> the doctor briefly said, how is the baby doing? And I was like, oh, he's great. His balance is still off. And she's kind of briefly looked at him. So this was not his appointment. Sure. She didn't do a full check of him. She just looked at him and she said, let me check his ears, checked his ears. So his ears look great. And this was the Tuesday prior to him passing away that Saturday. So that's oh. how close we were. She had just seen the doctor. I will say that we do not blame their pediatrician at all. Um, this is not something that anyone can find without him going in and having either other issues. And I know 100% if he was having other symptoms, she would have sent us to the mm-hmm. children's hospital yeah right away. I know it's very easy for sometimes when your kid gets sick or your kid passes away to place blame on people. And that's just a part of the anger part of being um, in the situation. Um, For us, we never did because we know she didn't miss something. He he didn't show any signs, which we didn't even know the signs until we get like to months the later. Yeah. So months later Friday. is when we too learned more signs of actually what the kind of tumor he had. So that Friday, Kelly's at work. I'm home with him. We go get Jace from daycare. I mean, from preschool and we're at home and I tell her, I said, Hey, make him an appointment with his PCP again, because something's not right. He's yeah. just not acting right. He's fussy, but he's eating, he's walking, all this stuff. Well, a little later in the day, I said, actually, when you get home, we're taking him to the emergency room because they will do everything then. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like send off for referrals and, yep. you know, get mm-hmm. everything going yep. or whatever and wait weeks. So 
about 5.30, she gets home, we load up the baby and we head to the children's hospital. We literally don't think anything is wrong with mm-hmm. him at this time because no one knows we're at the hospital. We um, get to the hospital. Even they're not really that concerned because he's not getting triage fast. Like yeah. we are kind of just hanging out. We mm-hmm. end up getting moved to this back room. It was now like probably eight o'clock at night that mm-hmm. we had just been waiting. Mm-hmm. We go back to the waiting room and they finally call us to go back into a room. Doctors come in, pe- nurses come in. He's hooked up to monitor. The kid's fine. Like he literally is fine. He's he will not, with the nurses. Yes, he's. We have a picture of him <laughs> sitting in this hospital bed, as happy as can be, with this big smile on his face, and he's fine to us. Yeah. Um, he goes back for a CT scan, and we then get um, back into the room, and again, we're just hanging out, playing with the baby. He's finally kind of dozed off, and um, I hear the ER doctor walk by, and he's on the phone, and at the time, he was on the phone, and. He said, okay, we will get him a ready, we'll get him a bed ready in the PICU and we'll admit him tonight. And I looked at Kelly and I said, that is for the baby. She said, no, it's not. Mm. It's not for him. I said, I Kelly, like, yes, it is. I, was I like, bet you that's for the baby. Something's going on. I, I was dead set on, this is just an inner ear infection. Oh, we yeah. even, so still They're no one knew we're her. at the hospital and we had a cancer benefit. One of our friends had um, ovarian cancer and she was having a benefit that Saturday. So we're thinking we can still go home, get a little bit of sleep, pop up and um, go to this benefit the next day. So the doctor comes in and he sits down and the first thing he says is we have services available and you know, the Ronald McDonald house is right across the street. And Kelly said, well, we just live in Pflugerville. It's right up the road. Like it's only a 10 minute drive. He said, well, we, um, we found a mass and on his brain. And so at that time, you still don't like understand what a mass is. And you're like looking at him because now I think it's about 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and we're now exhausted. We're starving, but we can't eat in front of him because they wanted us to hold food from him in case something else needed to be done. I literally, I remember also um, kind of going it, and I go, well, we've taken care of a of a baby with shaken baby syndrome. Just go yeah. in there and take it out. Yeah. I can take FMLA and we can nurse him back to health. Just get in there and get it out so we can get home. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, because we start, I'm thinking of the other kids too, and yeah. I'm still not fully comprehending because he just said mass. To yeah. me, mass could just be like assist. I yeah. don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, right. it, it didn't. But I knew it was bad when he goes, no, y'all are going to be here for a while. So then the PICU floor doctors come down. And I think this is where it's starting to sink in that we probably should start contacting our family and letting them know we are at the hospital and the baby will be admitted. So the PICU team Mm. comes down and they're getting, you know, talking us through. And at this time, guilt starts setting in. And we say things like, was this our fault? Did we miss something? And he, they were like, absolutely not. No doctor or parent is ever going to be like, yep, your kid has a brain tumor. And so um, we sat there and we were just kind of lost at that moment. You really don't know what to do or to think. And we had some friends as we were being moved up. We had friends come up and bring us, you know, necessities that we kind of needed and pajamas to get us through the night. And we we're all kind of still just talking and I don't even think then it set in that. Well, when 
you still like in my mind, like, well, this, this isn't really happening to us. And I know they've got to get in there and see what's going on, but this wouldn't happen to us. And, and, you know, we're in whatever it is, we're going to beat it. We're going to beat it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it is, if it's not cancer, he's going to make it through this. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, failure is not an option at this point. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to get through this. So I won't even let my mind go to the reality of what's fixing to happen within 12 hours. Yeah, Yeah. They send in these, you know, these, um, another doctor and then she, now we get she use, they go from mass to now they're saying tumor. tumor. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. They said mass down there. Now you're saying tumor. And to me, that means two completely different things. Like to me, tumor means cancer, uh, yeah. you know, cause in not being in the field, I mean, you don't really, you know, and she's like, well, we use it, you know, she explains how they use it, it could be benign. It, it, you know, it could be malignant. We don't know. We have to get in there and see he's not showing any other signs. So we can put off the MRI until tomorrow morning. Yes. So he was supposed to have an MRI at nine, eight o'clock in the morning, um, the next morning. So that we're now into Saturday. Cause we get into the PICU, um, at one in the morning. So Saturday morning at one in the morning, we're finally getting in, getting settled. Nurses kind of have come in and out, introduced themselves, doctors. Um, so we, um, he finally falls asleep. And then the next morning he's supposed to go in at eight, but they had so many other scheduled, other people scheduled prior to him. And again, it's no one's fault that he it got pushed back. So because he was not showing the signs, I guess he yeah. needed to show that it was more of an urgency. So it's about 10 o'clock and I'm holding him and she's finally like, look, we can we give this baby something other than water because mm-hmm. he is starving? And they're like, yes, you can give him apple juice. So he's sucking down apple juice like crazy. <laughs> like he's like, I need another one. Like, come on, open that box and <laughs> pump me up. And at like 10.30, I'm holding him and he lets out this awful scream huh. that we have never heard before. And it's this high pitch and his whole body just flexes. And um, and like, a doctor a doctor comes in and checks on him. And at that time, he's starting to get prepped to go back for his MRI. Well, I need to come home and check on our other children and get clothes. So I run home, I shower, get clothes, uh, get ready to come back up there. She calls and says, hey, they're getting ready. In about 30 minutes, he'll be back in, get back up here. So I go back up and he comes back into our room or into his room in the PICU and he's on a ventilator. I'm going through everything we've gone through with Weston and him being as sick as he is. He's never come back from surgeries on a ventilator. So we knew something was wrong. And they kind of start undoing some cords from him. And immediately the doctor rushes back in because chimes are going off. And they say, we need to take him back into emergency surgery. We still really don't know what's going on. They said he was having a hard time. They thought coming out of the anesthesia. Yes. And that, mm. so they take him back in. And at that time, uh, this process was maybe like a 10 minute little ordeal when they were back there. It wasn't very long because when they come back, the dog, the surgeon, he is a world renowned surgeon. He all the doctors there and nurses were like, look, if it was anyone to operate, if we had children with the same thing or even us, we would want this doctor to do it. He's phenomenal. We you know, he's the best doctor in this area. He's possibly one of the best doctors in the United States. People come from other countries to see him. And I can tell you, Dr. George is one of the most humble men um, and doctor ever. He um, just is people do pediatrics because they care. They don't do it for the money. They do it to save children and because they love children. Um, 
backing up to when the baby came back to us from the next surgery, he, what ended up happening is he he had a stroke during his MRI Mm. and pressure was growing on his brain. So they had to take him into that emergency surgery to release the pressure and to put drainage tubes in his brain. When he comes back, he's still on a ventilator and he does not look himself. We are now, it's about probably three o'clock in the afternoon. People come in and stay. And going back to that, like, just thinking, like, so my sister's running this benefit for her best friend that we were supposed to be at. And I remember Holly mm-hmm. um, checking in, checking in and being like, Kelly, I can come up there. And I'm like, this was before he'd gone back. I'm like, no, let him go in. And then after the surgery, you can come up, like, just stay there. Like, I still am not grasping. Right. Yeah. Around three, like Crystal, and then around 430, you know, I'm finally like, we have a lot of people coming in because the word had gotten out. I had to, you know, contact the admin team. Crystal had contacted. So we have people now bringing us food up and stuff. And and I was like, how how much of the, the breathing is he doing on his own? And the doctor's like... And he just kind of, this is a new floor doctor at this point. And mm-hmm. he's just kind of looking at the ground. And I'm thinking, why won't this man look me in the eye? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and he he tells he's, us at that point, um, I said, why don't you give him the medication to get him to come out of the anesthesia? Like, why can't we give him that? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he goes, he just kind of looked down and he said, I'm sorry. He said, I don't think he's going to come out of this. Um, so at that time all reality sets in and you it's the worst feeling ever so um they come in and they tell us that if we want to contact family to come see him we should do it now i mean we've got and at that moment i called his biological father to let him know what was going on at that time i Around 11 o'clock, the biological father came up and grandma and um, they got to see him. And we, by that time, I mean, her whole admin team was there. We had a family that was there. My mom was trying to come in from Mississippi, but the roads were too icy for her and my brother to drive in. We have your, your cousin gets in the middle. Yeah. So my cousin comes in from the Houston area because we're more like sisters. And so we get, everyone's there. And, um, by this time, I think, um, we're all just standing around him and no one really knows what to say. So we end up, um, I still, even at this point, believe he's coming back. Yes, she does. And I'm like, he's not. I'm, and I'm still like, even like he's going to make it. People are making comments like, oh, his eyes are moving. And I'm like, no, that's not like his he, his body's breaking down and he's just making those like he he's not doing that himself. And so at this point, they've opened up, they the, opened room up the room next, next door to, to him. So many people up and sorry, he goes back in for one more CT scan and we walk back mm-hmm. with the nurses. Um, and one of the nurses, for me, it set in at about 10 o'clock is that a nurse said, oh, y'all were going to adopt him. And I said, no, we, we still are going to. And mm-hmm. I told her that and we just sat there and watched him through this, you know, window of his next CT scan and he comes back out of it and all these nurses are with us and the nurse didn't mean anything by it, but I think she already thought we had our mind wrapped around everything because she hadn't really been working as close with us. And so when she said that, I was like, I mean, I still had a little bit of hope that he was going to still come back. So we get 
back into the room and around 11, 30, 12, Dr. George comes in. He says, hey, moms, I want to talk to y'all. His eyes are bloodshot. And his eyes are bloodshot. So he takes his back and he, the first thing he says is, first thing, there's going to be no guilt. Um, You cannot feel guilty for anything that you have done because I have already questioned myself. If I would have taken him back sooner, would we be here? And then he starts explaining all the things he had seen on the CT scans and the MRI and, you know, the pictures. And of course, he's talking in all these words and we're just staring at him with this blank look and we're all crying. And reality has now set in that he is not coming back. Um, This surgeon has confirmed our son is gone. So he walks us back to the room and he hugs us. Oh, yeah. He hugs us. And and he held us like um, we walked back into the room. And by that time, I had some childhood friends come in and from the middle of the night in Houston and some girls I went to college with and they all loaded up and their moms who were like a lot of times my summer moms all got in the car and came up to be there for support, walked in and they were all um, waiting back in this like little area when I had walked back or whatever and um it was so comforting knowing that there was just so many people that cared. But uh, so we then start talking about um, at that time. Um, the life support. They said, we'll leave him on life support as long as y'all want. Yes, y'all can sit here as long as you want. We got to give him his last bath and everything. And the dad was there with us. And then at this time is when organ donation comes in. And we are exhausted. It's two in the morning. Yeah. Talking about organs is probably the last thing I think we want to talk about. Although we yeah. know yeah. how important donating a child's organs um, is. Absolutely. Yeah. But for us. All we knew is he had a tumor and tumor meant cancer to us. And from what we understood is that if you have cancer and it's like sometimes your organs aren't viable um, Mm -hmm. or you can't donate them because there could be a risk of cancer being in those organs. Sometimes it's up to the donor if they want to accept them. But for us, we felt and we let the birth dad decide with us. um, And I'm saying let, but we had him make the decision with us on if we um, wanted to uh, donate his organs and stepping back. So at this time, the baby is still um, in CPS custody. Uh, This is where CPS was phenomenal and allowed us to make every decision and honored every decision we, we wanted. Um, We had the caseworker from the state was up there. Our Elise, who's always been with our family, she's from our um, placement agency. She was up there. Uh, These are women that do this work too for the, for to make children's lives better. And these are poor young kids, like basically young women who are not mothers and they're bawling their eyes out. And for me, like I felt so bad for them that they had to witness this, even though we're the ones losing this child. Hmm. Um, so we end up deciding not to donate his organs and we get back in the room. And at this time we're, um, we now have all the family in there. Um, they said, would y'all like to let him go on your own? Or do you want to um, <sighs> have, um, or do you want people to step out or is it okay if people are in here? We said, no, we will, people can be in here. Um, that was probably the best decision we made because he was surrounded by so many people that loved him. 
and got to witness such a beautiful thing. So they unhooking from the uh, monitors and the ventilator and then they have to bag him. So they have to use the little bag, the respiratory therapist is bagging him. And um, I asked, I said, can I hold him when they take his breathing tube out? And Kelly said, yes. And his dad said, yes. So his dad was rubbing his head and Kelly had his, was rubbing his feet and I was holding him when they pulled the tube out and his little heart kept beating for like almost an hour afterwards. And we literally just sat, sat there and talked like he was, we were just sitting in our living room and um, the chaplain was there and prayed with us when they did it. And um, I can say for it being the worst experience of our life. It was the most beautiful experience. Um, It was so peaceful. And it was, if there's any way to go, that's probably the way. Yeah, and the doctors and nurse stayed stayed in there with us too. There was not a dry eye in the room. And the doctor was like, he was down on one knee and just kept checking his heartbeat, but he was crying too. At uh, 4.34 a.m., at 4.34 a.m. He was um, officially pronounced, pronounced an angel. <laughs> so um, so then we load up our car, and we don't have this child sitting in our car seat. And I think that was, like, probably, like, worst of it all, like, knowing we're leaving this children's hospital with a beautiful child we took in, and he's not coming back. So then we get home, and our um, Western doesn't really understand a lot but um our two other kids were with our her cousin and they had brought them home and again my cousin was taking pictures of things which I'm now grateful for these pictures but at the time I was like again not all in mills stop taking pictures of us but uh Kelly and I get down on our knees and um we tell like see a Jace the first thing they ask is where's the baby and we have to tell them that he's he's not coming home and you could just see that their little hearts are broken like they don't even know what to say and you feel like it's your fault um that you're breaking their hearts and um there's a lot of times that you know moving on now we have uh since like talked about um what we have seen afterwards. Um, so for his funeral, I mean, his funeral was beautiful. Her principal, who's also a pastor, spoke at it. Our pastor from our church, the judge on his case came to his viewing. We had all of the people that had worked with him through CPS came to his viewing or to the funeral. Um, his viewing was hours and hours long because just so many, over probably 200 people came to his viewing. For his funeral, it was like standing room only. It was, the chapel was packed. We did do a closed like burial just for family. Again, we let all of his biological family participate in everything. We all were hurting and there was not, we didn't blame anyone at that moment. So we still don't blame anyone at that moment. Um, Moving in, I can say that Sunday coming home without the baby, you feel like you're the only one that has ever lost a child um, at that moment. I can imagine. You feel alone. You feel... That you're not going to make it. You don't know what to do. So I can remember Googling um, 
losing a child, how to like, how to cope with losing a child, what to expect when losing it, you know, all this stuff. And Hey, guess what? There's a million people that have gone through the same thing we've gone through. And so it was nice to read other people's stories and relate to someone else because at this moment, no one else that we had known has lost a child. So is that what you did to begin grieving is you joined groups and things like that? Yes. So now then moving on to where he had, uh, we didn't know what kind of tumor he had. And with CPS, things take a lot of time. There's a lot of paperwork and there's, we were then investigated um, to make sure Ugh. we did not cause anything. And I felt like that opened oh up so God. many wounds. to injury. It was, aye, aye. but then you're like thankful for that because there are sometimes babies that are children that do pass away in this system. And and that's where the investigations need to be done. Um, for us, of course it was, it was okay. Um, our kids became different children that day, um, that we told them our, the baby wasn't coming back. So, uh, for Jace, he had a lot of, um, anger issues and we got Mm. him into play therapy and Kelly can explain to you what, uh, took place in therapy when it finally came out. The reason he was so angry at home. Yeah, it was, um, he, he was fine at school and I couldn't understand why is he, why is he acting out, you know, so much at home? Like what, what's going on? So, you know, Crystal had, gotten him in with uh, an amazing therapist. And, and in one session, I guess it was probably the fifth or sixth, uh, she said, Jace, point to the, they were doing the happy face, sad face, angry face, you know, pictures. She said, how did you feel when, when baby Trett was here? And he pointed to the happy face. Mm-hmm. And then she said, how did you feel when baby Trett went to heaven? And he pointed to the sad and the angry face. And she said, um, what makes you angry about this? And he said, uh, because my mommies wouldn't let me go to the doctor with the baby. And that's when it all set where it came. he was mad at us. Um, uh, and, uh, cause I mean, where else can he put it? He doesn't have any place to put it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she said, no, she said, no, Jace, it wasn't your mommies. It was the doctor's. You know, and mm-hmm. and I remember uh, during the time when we were going through this tragedy, I was like, yeah. "Should we let the kids come up and see?" And then I was like, N- "I would." I kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I was like, "No, I don't want them to see him on all these tubes and stuff. I don't want them to get scared." Yeah. So then that guilt set in with me is like, "I should have let them," you know. So then here I am questioning myself, and then. Uh-huh. She said, well, Jace, what would you have done if the doctors had let you go up to the hospital? And he said, I would have saved him. Oh, and I was just so, I was like, oh my God, are you, are you kidding me? Like this oh. poor little five-year-old boy who loved, loved his little brother yeah. so much. He thought he could have saved him. So he was taking on guilt and blame too, like She said, no, um, Jace, the doctors couldn't save him and God needed him. She knew our beliefs, you know, so it was okay for her. You know, like God, God called him home. God needed him to come home so nobody could save him. And then from then on, Jace was like, Jace was fine. He was free. Yeah, it was like he, he went back to the Jace that we knew. You guys got dealt a tragic Like you have this whole, you've been bamboozled with tragic death, A, the sudden, quick, tragic death, and also a a cancer diagnosis that you didn't even have a chance to fight. Oh, yeah. So there is so much grief happening, not only with you, but a family full of other humans. 
Yes, so, it is. And you get working through these, the process with yourself. There were times where we couldn't say things like our son would be like, mom, I want to go have a picnic with the baby. And um, mm-hmm. we would start crying because we didn't know what to say. And our sweet little mm-hmm. innocent Lexi, who is only um, six years old, seven years old at this time, she one time just sat there and said, well, Jace, even though the baby's not here with us, he will always be in your heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how can this little girl who is have these words to say? Mm-hmm. And then I have to think like, well, because we taught her those things. Like this is what being a mom is. Like this is the part where we're, I was so proud of her. Like you spoke when we couldn't. It did bring us a lot of comfort and love and um, moving on to, so we finally got his autopsy back. Um, and it said, um, I had gone to the pediatrician and I was like, Hey, do you think we get his autopsy? Cause we are still trying to, we're waiting on to see what kind of, you know, what was going on or what happened. And she said, yes, she got it back for us. She said, would you like to go over it? And I said, absolutely. So she sat down and she said, honestly, I know nothing about this type of cancer. So baby Trett had ATRT and it is Atypical teratoid rhabdoid tumor. And so with that, there's not been a lot of studies on it. Or they just diagnosed or started the diagnosis is about 20 years ago. And so it was diagnosed as something else prior to this. And so the life's basically the survival rate was very low and it still is very low. Um, What happened to Trent was the stroke actually took his life and that is less than a 1% chance of happening. And then also it was less than a 10% chance for him to have this type of tumor. Once we found out that, we immediately turned to social media. And Mm -hmm. on social media, I had come across Claudia. And at the same time, her daughter, Isabella, um, had just been diagnosed. Yeah, so Isabella was diagnosed at 18 months, months with the same tumor, and she was fighting. Yes, and um, she was ha- getting the chance to fight. Well, and a lot of the things, too, with the baby was the location of the tumor was right on top of his brain stem. Uh, so your brain stem kind of controls pretty much everything. 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 So had it maybe not been there, maybe the stroke wouldn't have occurred. But then seeing this baby that was fighting and living... It gave you, you wanted to learn more. You wanted to learn more about just the cancer world and what these poor moms go through. And I can remember following Claudia's story or Isabella's story and Claudia sharing some of their darkest moments of sitting in the hospital and poor Isabella's so sick and then thinking, well, this is not what we had to go through. And when it was the baby's second birthday that summer, Isabella turned two around the about same time. A little of me was sad because again, Trent didn't get to celebrate his second birthday, but I saw how sick Isabella was, but you're still happy she's there, you know? Yeah, so right. you get this awful pull and you yeah. don't know what to think or what to say. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a healing for you to see this little girl going through what Trent possibly could have gone through. And then to see Isabella came out, she's, she's cancer free now. Mm-hmm. And to see that I'm sure is, has it's an up and down emotion for you, but I was going to say it's more happy than more sad. And it's a 
closed group on Facebook, like like your child has to have ATRT to be in this actual group, um, yeah. Facebook group that we're on. But then Claudia set up a, a Isabella page where you could follow her story and she her page is more public and anyone can follow it. When we... Um, we had start. We started a thing, a nonprofit called the Be Present Project, and that was mm-hmm. one of our mission statements. Was you know to support families who are going through the fight, like their child, because um, you know we as we started getting more involved in uh, supporting you know pediatric cancer, you know awareness and stuff. Like the funding is limited. You have these poor parents who are already exhausted mm-hmm. with being in the hospital, their child going through, they're the ones raising the majority of funds that are going to find cures for these diseases. And it's really sad. Right. There, are, there aren't that many things set up to help parents no, yeah. go through this. We, we said is that with the Be Present Project, I will say it's a lot to um, have a child pass away and then want to save the world all in the same year. Yeah. <laughs> so at first we were going to save the world and we were so like, this is what we're doing and we are going to do this with it. And this money is going to go here. Well, what we did this year was we gave out three $1,000 scholarships, $1,000 scholarships to deserving teens that are seniors that were mm-hmm. graduating for college. And um, pre, they were pre-med majors. They are a, a cancer survivor. And I mean, some really strong, amazing women that this is our future. And we are giving back to help these girls, you know, just to get some things through college. And even though it's not a mu- it's not much, but we wanted to do something. So that's what we did this year. And now we're to more of a mindset where we are able to do more and we are going to do more. We want to help more families um, financially through the Be Present Project. Can people can people donate to your org? Like, are you set up online and everything? So like if- we have a, uh, we do have an account and we have a Facebook page that we have set up um, that you can go in and like, and it is just the Be Present Project. And um, we are setting up the donation part of it now um, because we did not do much this past year with it. Because yeah, um, right. ladies, once we get you on Ellen, watch out. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, love, it, it was, you know, like, you just, you want to give more. You know what, Robin? What, Jamie? <laughs> did you know that most skincare products on the shelf involve some sort of trade-off? Either they're loaded with harmful chemicals, but they work, or they manage to have clean ingredients, but then they do absolutely nothing for your skin? Mm-hmm. True Botanicals believes you shouldn't have to choose between skincare that's safe and skincare that's effective. You deserve both. And what's interesting to me, though, is that with the help of leading researchers from top universities, True Botanicals bottles the highest quality natural ingredients, and it creates luxurious formulas that are as potent as they are pure. Third-party clinical trials verify their product's efficacy. Now, their Renew collection of aging skin outperformed Creme de la Mer, and their Clear collection for acne outperformed Proactive. Wow. Yeah, no, it's proof that non-toxic skincare can not only be as effective as conventional skincare, but it can actually be better, Jamie. That is amazing. I'm all about the natural. Mm -hmm. Did you know also that True Botanicals is the first skincare company to have its entire line certified safe for people and the planet by the nonprofit Made Safe? That's nice. That's America's first non-toxic seal, which Mm -hmm. I love. I love that. So guys, go to truebotanicals.com now to get free samples and receive $20 off orders of $40 or more off your first purchase with the code OCT. Yeah, I know it's like half. So go do it. 
get it. So if people want to help at home, they can donate to your your foundation, Be Present. You also mentioned Battle for a Cure. That's an organization. So it's Battle for the Cure, the Be Present Project, and St. Baldrick's. I think it's incredible that you're sharing your story, that you're so open about it, because I just think this is important for other people to hear. And you guys are, I mean, you're angels. angels. (laughs) I mean, it's like you you are. You you had an angel in your lives and Mm -hmm. he's watching over you and you are both angels too. And you don't even know. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we want to thank y'all because just getting to share a story. And even last night, like we were like, you don't know how much we like talking about this. Like, <laughs> we love sharing our crazy story. And as you know, cause we want to not inspire people, but we want people to do more good, I think in the world. And just, if you can help out wherever needed. And if our story just inspires you just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I think makes us just happy. I mean, I, I, I mean, I literally want to curl up in a ball on the floor right now. It's I just, tough. I, but uh, are they the most selfless, gen- like generous? I mean, uh, it, it, like just it's not just like how they handled no. the death of their child, but like oh uh, how they opened their home and how they just like anytime anyone called and said you want to take a baby, their answer was just yes, 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 absolutely. She kept saying absolutely, absolutely. We'll take that baby. <laughs> we'll take him. We'll I mean, I think me and Anne would brood on that for about a year and then it'd be too late, you know. Um, oh, I, God, just, they were just just wonderful people angels. and so brave. Mm-hmm. So, so incredibly brave to share. You know, I just hope that them sharing their story is going to do a lot of good. Just even being on this podcast, mm-hmm. like if, if it can do anything. For their organization for, and for other people. I mean, I, I would like to encourage people to find their organization on social mm-hmm. and and, and, and I don't know, given whatever way you feel you can, if it's support, if it's, you know, or even if it's to someone else that, you know, since it is, you know, child, child, it does, it touches, you know, cancer touches a lot of people, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's, we need to, we need to do something. It's not right that, what did they say? 5% goes towards research for childhood cancer. It's come on. Come on. So, so but, you know, reach out, go just Google something. Yeah. And, and, and what, and like, and please, like if you have stories that if you've gone through this, share them, mm, share them with us. And mm-hmm. like in our community, that's what our community is for. And, um, like let's make some connections. Um, and, and you can get us at if these ovaries could talk on Facebook, uh, at ovaries talk on Twitter and ovaries underscore talk on, on the Insta. Mm-hmm. You can also email us. Totally. At- OveriesTalk at gmail.com. Thank you, Robin. I forgot that one. That's um, and we have to give another huge shout out and thanks to our, yeah, to to our, our sponsors. Partners. Yeah, partners. Uh, we have Songfinch to thank. Mm-hmm. We have I, Lola to thank. Yes, for those products, those yes. lady products. And True Botanicals. For our dewy skin that we now have. Yes, the, don't forget to use the promo codes that we gave you. Yep. Yeah. And guys, just, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like so emotional. <laughs> I feel like saying like, everybody go out and take care of yourself. <laughs> hug, your, like, hug your baby. Oh my God. Just like, I love that the name of their organization was Be Present because it just was mm-hmm. a nice reminder of just like, let's all just, I'm, I'm going to go home and be present and mm-hmm. hug somebody. Well, guys. <sighs> on that note. On that note, we hope you got something out of this. Yeah. A little more somber eggs. Mm-hmm. And on that note, eggs. Ovaries. <laughs>